0: Well, here we are closing out yet another year of our lives, and what a year it's been. We've been ravaged by the fear of the COVID-19 virus. All of our lives have been impacted by that in some way. We've experienced turmoil in our country, uh, such as we've not experienced for many, many long years, We've been angered and disappointed by fake news and the failure of media to present us with the truth, and uh, we've been subjected to what appears to be a fraudulent uh, fraudulent election uh, with little hope of change. But you know what? No matter what happens in life, we have the confidence of knowing that God is on the throne and whatever happens, he will use for his purposes. And we also close out every year with a reminder of a great spiritual event that creates for us a spirit of great joy and hope. And that is a celebration of Christmas, a commemoration of Jesus Christ, God's Son, coming into the world for the purpose of saving mankind. And I am both joyful and saddened during this time of year. I'm saddened that its focus has been lost amidst the commercialization, the secularization, and the mythology of the season. Uh, It's almost that there's more emphasis on believing in Santa Claus than in believing in the Savior of the world. But I am joyful because I know the true meaning of Christmas, and we promote it here, and we preach it from God's Word. I'm joyful because there was a day in my life when I understood my sinfulness, and came to the realization that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for my sin. And on that day, I I entered a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that will never end. It will last forever and ever. But if you ask someone today, why did Jesus Christ come into the world, what kind of response do you think you would get? Well, some people might say that Jesus was a great teacher And he came into the world and started a new religion. Others might say that, well, he came to die for our sins, but they really don't understand what all that means. And still others might say, who's Jesus? Even in our country, there are people who have not heard of the Lord Jesus. When uh, Jennifer and Eric lived in Illinois, uh, there was a neighbor boy, that they took to church with them sometimes. And on one occasion, he voiced his curiosity about the nativity scenes that he saw. And he said he didn't understand why a group of people were bending over a pot of soup and looking into it. He was totally unaware of what that nativity scene represented until my daughter explained it to him. Now that may seem a little humorous to us, but really, isn't it, isn't it sad that someone in the United States, that children in our country, have no idea who Jesus Christ is? So it reflects the great need of explaining to us why Jesus came. So this morning we're going to consider a statement that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, a young pastor, that concisely and simply answers that question. And we find it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, not chapter 3, but chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am chief. As we study this verse and others this morning, let's joyfully reconsider why Jesus came into the world. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again today that your word reveals the truth about who we are, who you are, and what you did to save us from our sinful condition. Lord, we pray you help us to again listen intently to your word today. We know for most of us, it's the old, old story of Jesus and his glory, but perhaps there are some here today who don't really fully understand why you came and that they can have a personal relationship with you. So we pray, Lord, for all of us that we would be uh, uh, inspired once again by the story of Christ coming into the world and how it impacts us personally. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, the first thing that I want us to see this morning from this verse is simply that it is the answer to the question of why Jesus came. And Paul very clearly states, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So, the fact of his coming. Paul states that Jesus came into the world. All of us are aware of this truth, and I believe that probably all of us believe it today. The first four books of the New Testament, the four Gospels, reveal his life, his teaching, and his works. And Jesus entered this world from a pre-incarnate eternal existence. In other words, he is the second member of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he came into this world to complete a mission of salvation, and he came at the exact right time in history. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son at the exact right time. And we don't really need to belabor that point this morning. But even people who may not believe in Jesus today would be foolish to deny his, his, his uh, historical existence. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. And even though everyone who identifies it is probably truly not born again, the fact is uh, it is a world-known religion. Time itself is measured, at least at, uh, until recently, by dating uh, before the Christian era and after Domino in the year of our Lord, A.D. All time divides from the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world. And the problem is not really in believing, accepting, or recognizing that Jesus was a real person who lived in the world, but the reason that he came into the world. So let's take a look here at the purpose of Christ's coming. Now, Paul's statement here is not an isolated one. It is in full agreement with what Jesus Christ himself declared about his mission in coming to the earth. And I want to recall to you a number of verses that affirm this truth. To save some time, we're not going to turn to everyone. But if you want to jot them down, uh, you can jot down the reference. I'm going to, to to read the reference for us this morning. And Jesus tells us uh, why he came into the world. In Matthew 9, 13, the last part of that verse, Jesus said, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus addressed this to a certain group of people called Pharisees, who were self-righteous and did not think they were sinners who needed to repent. They followed the law of God very closely. Then in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, similar context, but put a little bit differently, Jesus said to them, "'Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. "'I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance.'" And he again says to that same group of Pharisees, uh, uh, pointing out the failure of them recognizing their sinfulness. They didn't think they needed to go to the doctor because they didn't think they were sick. They didn't think they needed to be saved because they didn't think they were sinful. In Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Here, Jesus indicates that he is going to become the ransom payment that will deliver those who believe on him from the penalty and power of their sin. Then in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says again, for the son of man, speaking of himself, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, what was lost in the fall of man, as we spoke the last couple of weeks from Genesis, uh, was a right standing with God. Jesus came to seek lost humanity and restore people to God. And then John 3.17, we all know John 3.16, but this is what John 3.17 says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And his first advent, Jesus did not come to judge humanity. He came to save them. And then lastly, in John chapter 10, the last part of verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is in the context of Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The abundant life Jesus speaks of there is spiritual and eternal in nature, not physical. Now, these statements from Jesus and what Paul wrote to Timothy are sufficient to show us why Jesus came into the world. They're the basis of what Paul has stated. But we need to take some time to explain the terminology that's being used here. And so the second point I want to make to you this morning is that since Jesus came to save sinners, we need to consider what sin is. Now, Jesus and Paul use the same term. They use the term sinners uh, a number of times. Now, we don't hear that terminology very much in society today, do we? Now, uh, not long ago, Nancy Pelosi used the terminology sinful, that it was sinful how we were dealing with this COVID-19 virus. Um, but I don't know if she would apply that to herself or not. But we're going to look at this term uh, in the Bible, sin, sinner, thing of, uh, things of that nature. We, we do hear it in Christian circles, in our churches. So uh, in society, we might hear, well, good, good, bad, evil, uh, uh, right, wrong, but we avoid the terminology of sin. We don't much like being called a sinner uh, or view ourselves as sinful. Most folks think that in comparison to everybody else, I'm pretty good. I may not be perfect, but I don't kill people. I don't rob banks. um, I'm a pretty good person overall. But Jesus and Paul make it clear in these statements that if a person is really going to be saved, they have to recognize and deal with the issue of their sin. Now, the term that Paul uses in this uh, whole passage two times is the term sinners. If you look back in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 1, It's used there again, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, and for sinners. So he's using that uh, particular word, and that word indicates the universal nature of sin. It speaks of being devoted to sin, uh, of not being free from sin, and that is really the condition of all of us. Now Paul elsewhere said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God or the perfection of God. And there is none righteous, not even one. That speaks of everybody uh, that's ever been born into this world. Now we've learned in our study from Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve sinned when they disobeyed God uh, and in uh, the effect of that sin was then brought upon all humanity. So by nature, we are sinners and by action, we are sinners. But then again, this term is still very general. Uh, in order to understand what is really meant, we need to get a little more specific about individual sins. So uh, let's think about a definition of sin taken right from the Bible, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, <clears throat> excuse me, where John says, sin is the transgression of the law. Now, the verb to transgress means to overstep a boundary. If you were to go out um, uh, and uh, drive down the road at 65, when the speed limit is 55, you have overstepped the legal boundary. If you get caught, you could get a ticket. But the law that we're talking about is not man's law. It is God's law written in his word. And Paul alludes to this back in uh, verses 8 through 10. <clears throat> so we're going to go back there and just consider a few of these. This is the kind of a list of sins that he has written Uh, We could go to other places in the Bible and find a whole bunch more. But what it does is it specifies what sin is, what constitutes sin. So we're going to look at a few of these today to help us understand that indeed all of us have broken God's law. Therefore, all of us are sinful creatures. Now, uh, he goes on to say here in verse 8, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. In other words, it's not for legalistic purposes. Uh, It is to point out our sinfulness, and he goes on to to name some of these things. And he goes on to say, but for the lawless and insubordinate. Have you ever been insubordinate? Did you ever rebel against your parents? That's insubordination. Did you ever rebel against a teacher, a supervisor, someone who had authority over you? That makes you a sinner. And I'm sure that probably all of us at some point in time have. He goes on to mention uh, for the ungodly. Who are ungodly people? Well, people that don't properly revere God. They don't worship him as God. They don't worship him as they should worship him. And this is related to the first commandment. I should have no other gods before you. And other commandments similar to it, like loving God with all your mind, body, soul, and might. So have you done that every day of your life? Every moment of your life? Have you always put God first? Do you even think about God through the course of a day? Well, that shows us that indeed we are ungodly. Then he goes down and he mentions three times murderers, murders of fathers, murders of mothers, uh, and manslayers, which is another word for murder. And I know what you're all thinking, ah, finally one that I haven't committed. Uh, sorry, but Jesus equated hatred with murder. So if you have ever acted hatefully towards a person, or you ever thought in your mind, boy, I hate my boss today, or boy, I hate my mom for making me do that. That's the same sin as being a murderer. We can't even get off the hook when it comes to that kind of thing, because our mind, our attitude can be sinful, as well as the very act of doing something. And it goes on to mention uh, in verse 10, fornicators. That means people who are sexually immoral. And any relationship's that is outside of this nature, that's outside of marriage, it is a sinful act or relationship. And this is looked upon in society as just normal. It's fine. Do whatever you want. But before just and holy God, it's sinful. Then he mentions liars. And again, who can say that they'd never told a lie, they'd never hold back the truth or covered the truth to get out of something or been totally honest on every single occasion of their life. So, here are some specific things that are sins that, if we've committed, show that we are sinners, every single one of us. So, do you begin to see the things that make us sinners before God? You know what? Even Paul, and you know, you think of the great things that Paul wrote and the great things that God um, enabled Paul to do, and probably would agree that he's the greatest Christian that ever lived. But did you know how Paul spoke of himself back in verse 15? Even he confesses his own sinfulness. And verse 15, When he says Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he says, of whom I am chief. That means I'm the worst one. The Apostle Paul, of all people, says he was chief of sinners. Now, why would he think that about himself? Well, he elucidates back in verse 13. So let's take a look at that. Okay. In verse 12, he thanks God for putting him into the ministry. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although, in spite of the fact, I was a blasphemer. Now what does that mean? <clears throat> Blasphemy is evil speaking. But it's even worse when it's applied to God. And that's usually the, 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 the uh, relationship. But But what that means in Paul's life is that before he became saved, he spoke evil of Jesus Christ. He didn't realize he was really God in flesh. He didn't realize that he was the Savior of the world. He thought he was a cult leader and drawing people away from the the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion. So he spoke evil of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he tried to break up his church. He goes on to say, I was a persecutor. Well, who did he persecute? He persecuted people who converted from Judaism to Christianity. They took Christ as their Savior. So he went to their homes, and he dragged them out to the, the, to the prisons and the authorities. And he even uh, was responsible for the death of some of those people. In Acts chapter 7, he was the one who was standing, uh, uh, leading the group of people who martyred Stephen for preaching the truth. They stoned him to death. Paul was there. And then he says he was an insolent man. Uh, that carries the force of violence and cruelty committed out of an attitude of arrogancy. And all of us in pride have rebelled against God and acted badly toward others. We might say, well, um, I'm not a blasphemer. Oh, I bet you are. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Have you ever, ever said oh my god which everybody in the world seems to say right now with no thought of what they're saying just an expression to throw out there because i think something's amazing or awesome or da 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 that's blasphemy that's that's speaking uh, of god's name in a wrong kind of way and we might say well i don't persecute people but i bet you have in in maybe less way than Paul did, but, but <clears throat> have you ever hurt somebody's feelings on purpose? Have you ever called them a name? Have you ever bullied someone? Have you ever made fun of somebody? We all have the kind of same motivating attitude that, that Paul had. So on the basis of just these few uh, verses, these few sins that we have covered here, would you say that you're a sinner according to the Word of God? Now, all this is bad news, isn't it? So let's let's get to the good news. And here's the third point we want to look at today. In order to save sinners, God displayed his mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. Paul says Jesus came to save sinners. Now, the verb to save means to deliver from danger, harm, or destruction. So what danger or destruction does Jesus save us from? Well, he saves us from the effect of our sin, which the Bible says is death. Last week, we we said the wages of sin is death. We saw how that worked out in the lives of Adam and Eve. Death in God's word alludes to separation in some way. Uh, Physical death is what we're most familiar with, the separation of the soul from the body when you die. But there's another kind of death in the Bible that is spiritual death. That separation of our life from God because of our sin. That's why we're unsure of our relationship to the Lord. That's why we often feel guilty when we do something wrong. We're just not sure of our standing with God. So, we we sense that that separation which if we die in that condition, the Bible says that Death will become eternal in nature. If you die without Christ in that condition, the Bible says your soul is going to end up in hell because you'll have to pay the penalty of your own sin, which is eternal death. It's the just reward for rejecting Christ as Savior. But he came to save us from that plight. And that's the good news. And this salvation is according not to our works or our trying to please God in some way. It's according to God's mercy and God's grace, which the apostle brings up in this passage as well. Look at verse 13, the last part of it. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, his sins were done in in the state of unbelief. He didn't realized at the time but that doesn't get him off the hook he still committed those sins and the reason he can be forgiven is because he obtained mercy through the lord jesus christ now mercy is god not giving to us what we deserve what do we deserve we we deserve death we deserve eternal death uh, because of the multitude of sins we've committed against God. But God put on the Lord Jesus our sin. He punished Jesus for us. And when Jesus died, he, he uh, wiped the slate clean if we put our faith in him. So God has been merciful to us. <clears throat> he hasn't caused us to have to pay for our sins for many, many years. But then we come to verse 14 and we see the grace of God as well. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So now we have grace being abundantly bestowed on Paul and everyone who believes. Grace is giving us um, uh, what we don't deserve. Mercy is, is not giving us what we do deserve, but grace is giving us what we don't deserve. It is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God that he showed when he sent Jesus into the world. Many people think that if they believe in God and their good deeds outweigh their bad ones, then maybe God will accept them And maybe when they die, they'll go to heaven. But they don't know because they're trusting in the wrong thing. If that were true, why would Jesus have to come into the world in the first place? If we could somehow save ourselves, if somehow our good outweighed our bad, and that's all that we needed, then why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to die? See, the problem is, even if we were capable of, of living the rest of our life from this point forward, never sinning against God, how are we going to deal with those sins behind us that we've already committed? The Lord Jesus Christ is the only person who perfectly obeyed God's law so that he could become a perfect sacrifice and pay the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. There's nothing good or bad we can do to add or detract from what Jesus has already done. Salvation from uh, sin is solely by God's grace through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we come and conclude all these things, here's the fourth point. Since Jesus came to save sinners, we ought to embrace him as a Savior, our personal Savior. Now, what Paul has been telling to us, this statement, did you see how it began in verse 15? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That means that what Paul says is worthy of our trust. It's a faithful saying. It's true. It's reliable. Paul isn't lying to us. Jesus wasn't lying to us. It's worthy of of acceptance. That means we can put our faith and our trust in it. We can fully embrace it. We can receive its truth into our lives. And notice what he says down in verse 16. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy, that in me first. Now, that really kind of connects back to what he says about being the chief of sinners. That in me first, the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering or patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. In other words, Paul's saying that if God could save me, the chief of sinners, he can save anybody. He can save you. He can save me. So we simply need to trust him. You need to believe completely on the work of Christ alone to obtain salvation through God's mercy and grace. As we close this morning, listen to the invitation of Jesus, who's the one who came to save sinners. These are some of his own words. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, and we see him in his word, and believes on him may have everlasting life. He who believes on him is not condemned. But he who believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what you believe seals your faith. If you believe on Christ as your Savior from sin, you're not condemned anymore. But if you don't do that, you're still under condemnation. And this is how uh, John the Apostle declared the purpose of his gospel uh, as he starts concluding what he's writing. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the key. Do you know that in John's gospel, he says 95 times you need to believe. That means you need to trust. You need to rely on Christ and Christ alone as your Savior. So what do you believe this morning about the coming of Jesus into the world? Do you believe what he said? and what Paul affirmed, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me? <clears throat> Do you believe that you are a sinner who is in need of salvation? <clears throat> Excuse me. Are, you, are you like those Pharisees who were uh, proud of the way they lived, proud of obeying the law of God, and they didn't think that they needed to be healed of their sin or forgiven of their sin because they didn't think they had any. But the first step is believing that you are a sinner, that you're guilty before a just and holy God, that you deserve death and hell. But you know that Jesus came to remove the effect of that sin. He died in your place. He took your penalty. You deserve what Jesus paid for. So have you trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin? Do you believe he came to save you personally? Put your name in there. I trust that you have. But if you haven't, I invite you this morning to make him your personal savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're again thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful, Lord, that because of your word, we know what Christmas is all about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world and taking upon himself the punishment of our sin that we deserve. We're thankful, Lord, that in your mercy and your grace you provided this way of coming to know you personally. Lord, we pray this morning that if there's someone in our congregation who's not sure of their standing with you, that they would uh, not fear to put their faith and trust in Christ, who came into the world to save them from sin. So Lord, bless your word to our hearts. May the Holy Spirit apply it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.